On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel Johnson, filmmaker. When I'm not making my films, like all good Bruce fans, I'm listening to Set Lust in Bruce. And welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. And tonight, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, is uh, another episode where me and a guest uh, share our rankings on a Springsteen album. That's right. We're the only podcast that has the courage to rank each album individually. Joining me today for this very tough assignment is my friend Scott. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing fairly well, Jesse. Good. I really appreciate you. Uh, tonight we are talking darkness. And um, you had sent me a very fun... Uh, Twitter direct message. Uh, you want to tell me um, you uh, uh, earlier this month you sent me something about you had finished ranking. Yes, and I said they're all tied for first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, in fact, I think when we get to this, there is going to be um, more than I think. You know, this is one of the sacred albums in Bruce fandom. And so we are going to end up um, upsetting someone that they're going to go, I can't believe you put this song uh, as the last. But before well, yeah. you yeah, go ahead, sir. I was just going to say if a, a pair of individuals, uh, one from Mississippi and one from Texas that have a another podcast, I'm going to step on their, on one of their sacred cows. <laughs> oh, very nice. Oh, that sounds good. Um, you know, um, JB and Rob um, are my brother podcast, Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, which is the reason why I'm doing this. Um, they inspired me. Uh, the, you know, they so far have given every song in darkness a Five Hall of Fame um, rating, and spoilers, I don't agree with that. There's a couple songs that I am not that fond of, uh, so we'll have to see. So start out with, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, well, let's see. I, um, I guess I can start with my Bruce fandom. I've been, I'm just a couple years younger than you, but I've been. Uh, Bruce fans since um, right after graduated from high school, I was working a graveyard shift at a fruitfulest, and they were playing uh, as an unusual station. They played a lot of um, a lot of Bruce Springsteen, um, Darkness, Born to Run, their um, first two albums, and I felt he was sp he was speaking to me, and from that point on, I guess from Born to Run on. He's been my favorite artist. Um, what, um, 
you said it was speaking to you. Can you summarize um, well, what about it made him, you know, felt like you were talking okay. to you? Oh, yeah. Well, I um, grew up in a blue-collar background. I grew up northwest Iowa in Sioux City, um, a meat meatpacking community, and I really believed that um, I was going to live the life of a Bruce Springsteen protagonist. I was going to end up in the factories like my father, and um, I was listening to, let's say, um, Badlands, um, Adam Raised the Cane, the lyrics of those songs, and I felt that was my life what I was, what I was, um, living into. Okay. I, I could see that. Um, what happened? Cause it sounds uh, like your life did not take that, um, path. Uh, no, it didn't. I suffer from career attention deficits syndrome. I, um, was a department manager at a grocery store. Um, went into the Army, became an airman, uh, uh, airborne infantryman. From there, I went to college, went to grad school, got a degree in art history, a master's degree in art history. And since I have a degree in art history, I now carry mail. <laughs> okay, of course. Uh, very nice. Um, that's cool. Now, um, as I often say, um, the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of whether, you know, your fandom, but for the record, how many times have you seen him? Well, I'm glad it's not a fair barometer because right. life got in the way. Yeah, it definitely got in the way with me being in the military and living um, well away from Bruce concert tours. Um, I've only seen him four times. You know, that's... Go ahead, sir. No, I was just going to say, and they've all been with my wife. And I will say the best thing that with Bruce is my wife became a fan because of going to those concerts. Um, Linda, as I've shared before, also has a little bit of that. She is not an absolute, um, you know, devoted fan, but she, she. We were just talking last night as we were catching up on. This is us. Um, she said, you know, I'm in the mood to see another show. I don't want to see 15 the way you do, but I'd like to see a show. <laughs> so I said, yes, I understand. Well, very cool. Um, well, um, the uh, what um, what was your first show? Do you remember? Um, yeah. Like I said, life got in the way. Yeah. Um, it, um, I moved to Kansas City, and that's when the first time I was actually a place for Bruce Kane. So the first tour I saw was the Magic Tour. Ah, okay. Uh, I went to Kansas City for the Wrecking Ball Tour. Uh, okay, so we, yeah. we were at the same concert then. Yes. Um, so I will ask you, um, my friend Sam and I, who went up there, said, you know, wouldn't you think that um, people living in Kansas City would not get a thrill out of him playing Kansas City? But the place went wild. I guess that doesn't it, – it's just – it's such a unique song to you guys. It doesn't bother you at all? Um, well, something he's doing it – I think the reason why it's special to us – is we know he's doing it for uh, for us. Yes. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Um, I am not a fan of Seeds, and every time in Houston he plays that song because it's got the word Houston in it, and we're like, eh, I don't like that song. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I thought him opening with Kansas City was great. I, I loved, you know, the band just seemed to be really enjoying themselves. So cool. All right. Yeah. And Seeds is by the one of the songs I want to hear him sing. Ah, very nice. Well, you know, that is the beauty of, um, you know, Bruce fandom, right, is the different songs that everyone feels, you know, everyone's chasing a different song. So cool. Anything else we need to know about you before we move on to Darkness? Uh 
Okay, I'm pulling a blank, so I guess not. Okay, fair enough. That's I uh, didn't want to leave anything out, but I totally understand. Okay, moving to, obviously, Darkness on the Edge of Town is the fourth studio album by Bruce Springsteen. It was released the day before my birthday in 1978. It would have been the year after I graduated high school. Um, It had been as widely shared in um, the Promise documentary. Uh, He had been through a pretty bad um, breakup and legal battle with his former manager. And it... um, is I think argument I think diehard fans will certainly make the argument it is um, one of his best albums. Um, what's your feelings on it? Oh, I agree, it's one of his best albums. Uh, I find it interesting, and I actually um, wrote a message to Rob and J- JB about this. Um, when you look at it, all the first albums are giving five out of five stars, except for Darkness, and I, and it's given four and a half out of five. And I, th- I think that maybe because um, Uncut, AllMusic.com, don't think as highly of, as of the song Factory, but I think it is right up. I think um, up through ne- Nebraska, all his first albums are all five out of five. There's no doubt. Yeah, I um, I I agree with that too. And um, I had in Bruce's autobiography, he mentions that um, he tells that Mike wrote his own book, and he, you know, kind of as a reader, he says, and I urge you to go read his side of the story. So I went and picked up the book and was very disappointed in it. Um, the guy who wrote it, um, seemed to have a, um, bone to pick with, um, you know, uh, Dave Marsh and, um, the, uh, John Landau, um, and, and I understood at first it didn't bother me at all, um, Scott, that, okay, you know, that's his story. That's who's going to be the villains in this tale. Um, But as he started talking about the, he started sharing that, you know, this album wasn't very successful. And I'm like, what? Wait a minute. Um, And I guess his point was because it did not produce any singles. But, um, you know, it's uh, triple platinum was on the charts for 97 weeks, and many people will make the argument it's his best album. I don't know if I agree with that, but I certainly think it's in the discussion. Well, it has um, uh, clearly some of his most iconic songs. They aren't singles, but they are songs that represent Springsteen. And I have a feeling that um, uh, he was, well, just sour grapes. Yes, I... I uh, yeah, he he didn't have any part of the album, and because of that, I think um, he looks at it as a downturn from when he was with him. I think you are absolutely correct. Um, all right, let us start um, guest first. What's your number ten song? My number ten song is "Streets of Fire." Okay. Um, any reason why? Oh yeah, well. Well, first of all, with this album, he does something, a a big change. If you look at his first three albums, most of the songs are narratives. And a lot of these songs are more thematic-based. They don't have a protagonist. They have an idea. And Streets of Fire is an excellent example of this. And But the theme, I think the theme isn't as concise or as driven as some some of the other songs. Um, I am right with you. Streets of Fire was my number 10 pick. Um, it is not a bad song. It's just not something, 
that spoke to me and um you will hear me say that often when I'm doing these discussions. I think Bruce, like many artists, his our relationship as, you know, um fan, artist, listener, musician is a personal one. And Streets of Fire, while a perfectly fine song, it's just not anything that um I find um out of I hate to say out of the ordinary, but it's it's just another song and it isn't one that I go, Oh man, that's great. So we're in sync so far. All right, number nine. Go go ahead. Uh, I'm gonna add I wanna add a couple of notes. Uh, Please. Yeah, I will I agree with you hundred percent on that. The one thing that shows up with Streets of Fire and it does all over this album is he's very good at using his own voice. Um, not singing, but different tones as a an added instrument, and also the way that he the instrument instrumentation is done with the different songs. Uh, he's a, he's absolutely brilliant the way he uses his band. Um, one thing I read that unlike the Wall of Sound, this was done so you could hear all the instruments, and it's like the bass in Streets of Fire, the organ, the way he he weaves them different intensities to build the tension and streets of fire is a wonderful song, but like, like you, it didn't, it didn't speak to me as much as the rest of the album. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point. Uh, streets of fire is a perfect example of that when he's screaming kind of the chorus. Um, I've told this story before, but Linda, my lovely bride had issues not understanding the lyrics that he wrote and, and sang. She just, thought he um, yelled or, you know, grunted too much. And so I told her to think of his voice as another musical instrument. Pretend this is an instrumental and just let the emotion of the music carry you. And that helped her enjoy Bruce a lot more. So um, that's a really good point. Any other thoughts on Streets of Fire before we move next? Uh, no, and I just will agree with you. It, it connected with me the least. Okay. All right. What's number nine? Candy's Room. Okay. Um, once again, this may be a very boring discussion because, Scott, because number nine is Candy's Room for me as well. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, this has not happened that often. Tell me why on Candy's Room. Well, um, first of all, this, uh, again, I don't think the song fits thematically as well with the rest of the album. It's a narrative. It's also um, people look at it as they hear the guitar solo. They think it is sort of a uplifting, optimistic song. But also, but it's more so it's about a person who has a love that he has no chance of getting. So it may be the saddest song on the album, but it's short and it just doesn't connect. I will add it may, may have the best guitar solo of any song on the album. And the, this song is loaded with great guitar. Yeah, I agree with that. The reason I put it down is, um, to repeat myself, it didn't speak to me. I'm not captivated by the story. Um, you know, I don't have that. You know, it isn't. Um, where, um, like, I won't use Thunder Road, but like Maria's Bed, you know, from Devils and Dust, you know, this optimism, mm -hmm. came, you know, I'm going to be in Candy's room, I'm going to be there together. I, I just don't see that. And so um, it's not one of my favorites. Uh, the music is okay. I do agree with you, the solo is great, but this isn't one that... You know, sometimes you can just like a song uh, for the music, and even if the lyrics are, you know, just nonsense, it doesn't matter because the the tune and melody carries it. So, um, yeah, I'm right there with you. Any other thoughts on Candy's Room? Well, it's just he, um, he talks about she has pictures of her heroes on the wall. She has 
um, people from the city give her all these gifts. Yes, she's going to be Candy's boy. I mean, he's going to, yeah, she's going to be Candy or his boy. Whereas obviously this guy doesn't have a chance with this woman. Yeah. So it, um, it's idealism that is completely unrealistic. Yes. All right. I agree. All right. Number eight. Let's see if we're going to break our streak. Okay. My number eight is prove it all night. Ah, okay. Um, that is not mine. So, um, now, um, what's, what's your thoughts on prove it all night? Well, here we get to the point that, um, all the songs are real close. Yes. And, and, uh, um, hate to do the uh thing right now. No, that's okay. Uh, prove it. And, uh, again, it didn't connect with me quite as much. It's, a um, again, I'll add, as I've added with all his songs, it's a wonderful song. It was a fa- it was the, um, it was a single off the album, and again, the orchestration, I love what they've done, or what he's done, and it has some of the uh, more quintessential lyrics, but it, I had to make something number eight, so it ended up being Prove It All Night. Okay, I did a little bit higher. Uh, mine, and this may be shocking to people, my number eight is Adam Raise a Cane. Um, I know this is iconic. People love that song. Um, it just, it, it feels like it's too much guitars to me. It just seems like they're just grinding and, and, um, similar to Streets of Fire where there's a lot of, um, loud vocals and Adam raised the cane. I just um, there are so many better father and son songs and family songs that Adam raised the cane is just not something that um, I connects with me. It isn't something I enjoy. So um, I put it on the lower end for my thoughts. Any. Okay, so we'll wait, and when you get to Adam, you can talk about that. Uh, what's, okay. What's your number seven? Factory. Ah, okay. Now, your thoughts on Factory. Talk about a short well, song. Yes, and in many ways, it's the it's the theme behind the entire album. It's... Um, it's not about an individual. It's man walks, uh, man goes to work each day, so on. And it's about, it's about the, um, the sort of the trap we're all going into. You're going to go to work every day with death in your eyes and somebody's going to get hurt tonight, the entire thing, it's a trap, the monotony of working the same job every day that you absolutely hate, no escape, and it's it's a very short song, very simple. A lot of ways it's monotonous. It's also extremely powerful, and I think the theme is the undercurrent of the entire album, of being trapped, frustrated, not seeing any real rainbow. Um, yeah, um, I have it significantly higher. Um, it's one of my favorite songs on the album, and I, I've heard various covers of it, and I enjoy. So, um, and I do agree with you. You know, you're now reaching. You, you know, we're. Um, it's sometimes very easy to pick your bottom couple and it's easy to pick your top couple and it's the middle ones where it depends on your mood. Um, so my number seven was something in the night. Um, I have been on record that I am, I am not a big fan of most of Bruce's songs that have the word night in them. I don't particularly like Night. 
um, something in the night. It, it is, um, you know, here comes the night. Um, just are not some of my favorite songs. Um, so something in the night is as I, and here's what I did. I knew my top five. So I picked in spoilers, um, six and seven are my two night songs on this. So something in the night is number seven. Okay. Okay. All right. The top of your bottom half, number six. That would be Adam Raised a Cane. Okay. Adam Raised a Cane. I'm, the reason why I will rank it higher than you do, because it is his most visceral song, and maybe the most visceral song he's ever done, which is uh, um, his voice. Uh, at Sometimes it's Howls of Pain or it's Howls of Rage. It's... Um, It's it's a song of raw feeling. Now, on the negative, I will say the um, the melody isn't as strong as some of the higher songs. But it is it may be the most powerful song in the album. Um, I could see that, and I do think that's a very valid point you're making about the you know the anger and how that comes across mm, very nice cool um anything else before i give you my number six uh i can just add i mentioned how he uses his voice instrument as an instrument and adam raised the cane is a is a great example of that all, all throughout the song not just the words but the um the tones his voice uses as bridges transition yeah, um, it, it he does do that. Um, my number six is um, Prove It All Night. Um, I like it a little bit more than Something in the Night. Um, and if there were other songs, if my top five weren't there, it would be a little bit higher. Um, I, I, I like it a little more than you. Um, I I think because of the the instrumental and the timing of the song where you know he they have the break and then the kind of uh, a little bit slower and more soft um you know lyrics um I think it's a well crafted song and so it kind of made it it started inching up or topper you know closer to the top Right. I definitely agree. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, with his soft building, like Candy's Room, you can go over and over with every song, the way they're constructed, the soft, the loud, uh, the, the bass or the bass drum or whatever he's driving it with. These songs are all impeccably created. I, I totally agree, Scott. All right, so we're on our top half. Number five. And here's where... I'm changing my mind even as I think. <laughs> that is allowed. Um, that's why yeah. we do not give our name, our <laughs> guesses before. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because all five of the songs that are left, I truthfully could put any five at number one, any one of the five at number one. I think I will go with um, next one is Racing in the Street. Okay. Um, uh, Great pick. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about it? Well, that is another song that he builds. It's, it's actually two songs. It starts very slowly. It's talking about his racing. And then it, it goes into relationships and how his racing is a metaphor, escape, but no escape from his family relationships. It builds and dies down again. Uh, fantastically constructed again and it's amazing how he made it work the two halves of the song blending it together and then 
using that to end a song. It's a, it's a, every, uh, many people think it's one of his top 10 songs and I can't argue with that, but some, something's going to be number five. Yeah, that is a great choice. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, JB and Rob just talked about this. Um, do you like the, um, alternate version that came on the promise? I like it, but not as well as the version on the album. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, I feel the same way. Um, so I'm going to, if you have anything else of Racing Street, hating it because it's going to come up a little bit further in my list. My number five, and I know this might be heresy, is Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, I felt bad putting such an iconic song, you know, kind of in the middle but the other four songs above it, um, just I like a little bit more. Um, Darkness obviously is an icon. Um, it is in many ways one of the most Bruce, Bruce Springsteen-ish titles of a song. Um, you know, I'm a big comic book geek, and... Um, so far, every season of the Arrow, Green Arrow that's on um, uh, CW, the next to the last episode, they use a Springsteen title. And the first year was Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, it is um, just that phrase and that, that feeling of the song. It, you do get that there is trouble and there is pain and there is sorrow. And uh, it of all his epic songs, this is one of my favorites. And yet you rank it number five. And like I know, I said, something, right? Something has five. Yes, indeed. Uh, okay, number four. Well, I'm at another coin flip moment. Um, I'm going to put darkness as my number four. Okay. Uh, a brilliant song. Again, it's uh, it ties in with the theme of the album that no hope. Um, you can find him on the darkness on the edge of town. The entire song builds toward him in this position where he really doesn't see a future. And again, bass drum, just uh, the bass drum is so steady, it drives the entire song, and it traps you in the end. Yeah, it's just so powerful. And um, just the despair, I think, is the, the feeling that I get listening to it. Um, and, you know, it, it just, this whole, um, you know, some folks spend their whole lives trying to keep it and they carry it with them every step that they take. Yes. Uh, just, just so, such a darkness, pardon the pun, um, absolutely great, great, um, great song, and and you're right. It's because something has to. Um, so I flipped the other way. My number four was Racing in the Streets. Um, so <laughs> I flipped the coins, and it came up heads instead of tails. Um, Racing in the Street is such a beautiful. First off, it. I I grew up right after I graduated high school. I discovered the Beach Boys. And became obsessed with Brian Wilson and, and the Beach Boys and, and his, you know, version of Phil Spector's Wall of Sound and the music. And, you know, when I heard this, I said, wow, it's it's a Bruce Springsteen Beach Boy song because it, you know, we shut him up and then we shut him down. Um, you know, you know, buddy gonna shut you down. You know, the simple Beach Boy song. Um, I think about that every time I hear it and the ending where they just, they have the, just the instruments and the slowness. 
Um, I think that's why I put it above darkness, just because of that. Such a gentle, melancholy, you know, just kind of this, this just so strange and, and moody ending is the reason why I just, I just love it. And that's something that he does so well with his voice on some songs. Sometimes it's a slow instrument build or it fades out with a long instrumental. He he does that so well on this album. He has learned that you don't need a chorus or a, uh, um, a verse to beginning or beginner in things. Yes, absolutely. Okay, we're into the top three. Um, what's yours? What's your number three? Something in the night. Okay. So this song is amazing. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, this song, it amazes me. This has been a, a favorite ever since I heard it first, I don't know, 78 maybe. The way it starts with Bruce's voice, he's doing a tone at the beginning, a long tone that builds into it, but you don't know where it's going. And it starts out with a narrative, but it's a narrative, again, based on a theme. And it slowly builds up. And then in the end, when you get to where um, the the car is burning, the car is a symbol of freedom for him. So he's lost his freedom, just blind, chasing something in the night. It's it's an extremely powerful song, and um, if there's ever a song about depression, this is it. It's a person trapped in in their own reality and it's a reality that's um, so powerful it closes in on them and traps you um, yes um, I agree that beginning is just so powerful um, it is um, it, you know now that I feel like I should have given it a higher um, list after listening to you uh, my number three is Promised Land. Um, I just, I adore this song. I, I love, I ain't a boy, no, I'm a man, and I believe in a promised land. Um, and the line, I just think, fits right in with Factory and the theme of the song. I've done my best to live the right way. I get up every morning, go to work each day. But your eyes yeah. go blind and your blood runs cold. Sometimes I feel so weak, I just want to explode. And then when he explode and tear the time apart, just I, I just love this song. Um, I gave it serious thought to either being, you know, my two or one. Um, just just something that I believe is truly one of his. It, if it would be close to making my top 10. Don't know if it would, but it would certainly, on any given day, I, I wouldn't argue with someone wanting that. Again, I agree 100%. It's, it's one of his best songs, and I, I have to agree. Something has to be number two and number three, though. Yes. All right. So what's your two? My number two is The Promised Land. Okay. So we were pretty close. Yes. Uh, the Promised Land, again, construction, the way um, he's done so well, um, starting small, building. The only difference is Promised Land and Proven or Night are the two truly optimistic songs on the album. Promised Land, there's more cynicism more reality of what being an adult is about, but it's still, there's, there's hope. Yes, it, it is. And it is, um, it, there is so, it, it's, it's one you can sing along with. It, it tells a good story. It is, it talks about, it is with the, the soul and message of the song. So, um, 
I very easily it could have been number two. I picked Factory, um, mostly because I just I think at times Factory is um, the little song that could. Um, it's a very short song, and I think that at times fans don't give it a lot of service. And I just, I love the simplicity of it. I, I love the, and I've heard covers of people that, you know, like I've heard female vocalists do it, and it's absolutely beautiful. And I've heard a acapella versions. But the idea of it's the working, it's the working life. Um, I think all of us at times feel that way, whether we work in a factory or whether we go work like I do, I run a call center or if you go to a retail store or if you go to a, you know, if you're in an office building working with spreadsheets all day, you know, it does feel like at times a factory and you're working on that all the time. And for that reason, it's my second favorite song on the album. And I'll add, like you mentioned, the simplicity, the shortness. And one thing, um, I've taught creative writing classes and then um, run creative writing groups for years and poetry. Just um, one thing you, you learn is simplicity. You don't, Bruce Springsteen's done this with this song better than any other song he's ever written. He's doing it really well now. He's learned word economy. In factory, you don't want any more. He's, he, the entire meeting, the entire communication, the entire thing the song is about is there. The repetition, the understatedness, that's what, that's what life is. That's what the factory is. And he could not have done any more already. I think he would have ruined the song. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It is it is perfect in that way. Um, you know, it puts across the point. It you know, it gives you life. It takes away, um, and and it is just that um, there are, there's a beauty to a short story. Um, you know, I love novels, and I, but there is something about a really well-crafted short story that I will just fall in love with, and they will stick with me. And Factory feels like a really well-done short story from, you know, Isaac Asimov or Neil Gaiman or Jeffrey Archer or you know, Lawrence Block or, you know, some of my favorite writers. They just, they you know, they're, it's a quick um, like an arrow to the heart. So well done. Well, here's an example of the line, factory takes your hearing, factory gives you life. The fact that factory, it takes your hearing. It doesn't mean any other sense. Hearing, it takes your awareness, your, your um, ability to hear the rest of the world, which traps you even further into it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, yeah, it's just, it's perfect. Well, it appears that you and I may have the same number one song. Unless there's an 11th one. Yeah, there was a hidden track. Yeah, I'm picking The Promise. Uh, No, uh, go ahead, Scott. Well, of course, I debated this in my mind, just like I'm sure you did. This between Promised Land and Badlands, um, initially, it was Promised Land, but Badlands is the iconic Bruce Springsteen song. It has some of his most famous lines. It has the melody that um, you go to a concert, everybody knows this melody. It is, I don't know, is this Bruce Springsteen's best song? I don't know, but it's it's a contender. Yeah, I had not thought of that um, because, you know, Thunder Road is certainly, you know, if it isn't his greatest song, it's in the discussion. I, I, I And I, I heard that a long time ago. Um, a sports station that I listened to had Joe Montana on the show. 
and they talked about that you know, this is Dallas country, Roger Staubach, you know, Troy Aikman. Mm-hmm. And they talked about, you know, here's um, Joe Montana. And he said, you know, he he married Miss World, not Miss Universe, not Miss Pretty Girl, the prettiest girl yeah. in the world. And if he isn't the greatest quarterback of all times, he's in the discussion. And and I love that phrase. I'd never thought about that before. And I, you know, the idea that even if you're not, you know, you're in that discussion. This was way before Brady had won his multiple Super Bowls. And I think I think you could make a good point that Badlands is one of his um, iconic, especially on Bruce fans. You know, talk yeah. about a dream. Try to make it real. Um, you know, rich poor man want to be rich, rich man want to be king, and a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. Um, which ties into, which ties into the Joe Montana con. Uh, he had to marry the most beautiful woman in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, and and when you think about it, you know the when the music's going and he says, "Well, I believe in the love that you gave me." I believe in the mm-hmm. faith that can save me. I believe in the hope and I pray that someday it may raise me above these and then just blast out Badlands. Um, yeah. Every person in the audience is uh, standing up and raising their fists. Then when you have the iconic, you know, the uh-oh-ohs during the uh, yeah. things, it is, yeah, I, I, it's absolutely amazing. And um, it when I sat down to do a list, I don't know how you did it, Scott, but the first thing I did is, okay, I've got one through ten. What's my first one? Well, Candy's Room would be on the lowest end, lower end, Streets of Fire maybe. And then I went Badland number one. Okay, maybe it'll change, but right offhand, that was the first one I thought as the you know, number one song. Um, That's exactly how how I started Badlands number one, Candy's Room number 10. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, and as we talk about this, um, you know, every Bruce Springsteen song is someone's favorite, except Night of the Jersey Devil. I don't think anyone loves Night with the Jersey Devil, but maybe they are, you know? Yeah, I like that song. (laughs) I really do. Oh, good. (laughs) Um, it is just um, – I asked the guy earlier today, um, and I asked him because The Promise was one of his favorite songs. Um, in fact, when he met Bruce um, at a concert in Germany, uh, they happened to meet Bruce at a um, the hotel bar the night before, and he said, hey, can you do The Promise for me? And the next day, Bruce said, this is for all my friends out, you know, and he named what German city it was, and he did the promise. And um, I said, well, that's mm-hmm. got to be a good moment. And he goes, it was a good moment. But I asked him, would he like it, would he have wanted it on darkness? So before I give his answer, I'm going to ask you the same question. Would you have wanted the promise on this album? No. Yeah. That's, it doesn't fit. That's his answer too. It is a wonderful song. It, it is a great song, uh, but there's something. Um, the beauty of this um, is just ten songs. It's sparse. There is no. It doesn't have the fullness of Born to Run. It is just a very. Um, almost down and dirty album. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. Uh, okay. I'm, uh, I hate to backtrack on you. Okay. This, this I want to, um, you asked a little bit about me and I can tell a little story about myself. Please do. Uh, okay. The, the economy in Northwest Iowa was, was tanking. I graduated from high school in 1979, and 
looking and jobs got harder and harder to find. I was I moved it home briefly with my parents and I would drive for miles around with my dad trying to find work and we would both find short jobs. And at that time I enlisted in the army, but even the army, you had to wait. I had a six month waiting list to get in and I enlisted to be a paratrooper in infantry, but I had, I had the Bruce Springsteen albums up to the river. And just, I listened to him constantly. And I remember, like the song, um, Something in the Night. Um, the uh, the depth of feeling in that song. And I didn't see much hope. And likewise, Badlands. I saw, in these songs, I saw my world. Um, and I, I listened to those first eight albums just over and over and over again. Um. I um I went um I spent 9 months unemployed a couple of years ago. Uh and it was a really tough time. It was um easy to lose hope and to ha- not have faith in one of the um I got a job uh you know, I got a job and then a year later I got a better job and I went down to Austin to see Bruce on the autobiography tour. You know, I got, mm-hmm. I got a ticket and what I told him was I, last year I spent nine months unemployed. I listened to better days and land of hope and dreams daily to keep me motivated and to help me be positive. Did not, he did not get to hear all of that. I said it, but by that time I was already, you know, they, they don't give you a lot of time. And I've I'm said, smiling. yeah, I'm smiling. Go ahead. In understanding. I'm just smiling as you say this in understanding, but go on. Well, and, you know, and what I've told many people is I needed to say it more than I needed him to hear it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it. he was, you know, it's kind of like the um, Tom Hanks movie. Castaway, where he talks about it's okay, she, the um, uh, Helen Hunt uh, isn't there for him because she was there on the island when he needed him, you know. And my thought was, you know, Bruce was there when I needed him, so it's okay if he doesn't hear this because, you know, I, I, he was there when I needed him. So yeah, he was uh, he was communicating to to you. Yes, he was. Um, so I can totally understand. That um, I did a um, this you know past year um, I was diagnosed with colon cancer as my listeners know and everything's yeah. fine now but I listened to a lot of Bruce Springsteen's um, you know during that you know during chemo um, and and I know that I am not. Um, alone in that feeling. Uh, his music mm-hmm. has been so much to so many of us. Yeah, here's the um, the ironic part. Like I mentioned, what Bruce Springsteen meant to them, and I, then and I saw the um, I I saw the darkness on the edge of town and everything, but it didn't have that effect on me. I never once gave up. I became determined. I became angry. And I became the person that was going to break out of there. Yes, I, I can see that. That that's very cool, very nice. So I guess I saw I saw the optimism, even in his darkest moments in his music, when he was losing control of his music. I still saw his courage, his drive, his optimism underlying the songs. Absolutely. Oh, this is perfect. Um. Any final thoughts on the album or any other stories you want to share? Um, well, first of all, I don't know if this is my favorite Bruce Springsteen album, but it's definitely one of them. And I'm not one of the, uh, we're similar ages, but there's so many people our age that they don't recognize Bruce after born in the USA. Right. And I disagree there. 
I think, and I've heard you say this, I've heard JD and Rob say this as well, but they're a lot younger. Um, Magic and Wrecking Ball are wonderful albums. I think as time goes on, they'll be recognized for what they are as modern classics. Uh, Well said. I totally agree. Um, Because, um, and I think it's fascinating that he is in this time of his career, you know, still putting out amazing records. And what's amazing is it used to be that uh, there's a group, a group of rock I call geezer rock. These are the people that tour on the songs they've made 40 years ago. But recently we've discovered all these artists that are still, very viable. David Bowie, Leonard Cohen, Bruce Springsteen, they're still making very, very strong work well into the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, they are, and it's just so um, it's inspiring. I, I totally Yes, agree. it is. It is. Um, because it, it could be, you know, I, I used to say, and um, you know, in a lot of ways, it's very weird. Um, you know, if you're 2021, 20, you win a gold medal at the Olympics, you know, you have to be careful if that doesn't become the highlight of your life. Glory uh, days. Yeah, glory days, exactly right. And um, to know that, um, you know, when your critics try to look at it and they mention your third or fourth album as your greatest album, um, I think it's really good. I, you know, I love Tunnel of Love. I, um, I, you know, I'm really looking forward to talking magic because that's going to be a tough discussion for me. You know, Wrecking Ball, I got the couple bottom ones, but the others are going to be really tough. So um, mm-hmm. I, I'm glad you shared that. That's really well well said, sir. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Uh, well, my nickname has been Ice Poet or the Ice Poet. But the thing is, there are variations. And mine is at the underscore Ice Poet on Twitter. Yes, they can fo- they can follow you on Twitter. And uh, you do some nice, you do some... Uh, I've enjoyed reading your tweets. Yeah, I think we lean the same direction politically, which helps. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Absolutely. And also I'm on Facebook under my name, um, Scott, S-E-O-T, one T. I spell correctly. The rest (laughs) of the world. Yes. And my last name name is Isom, I-S-O-M. All right. Very nice. Um, I can be reached um, at Jesse Jackson DFW if you want to be on the show and talk about your Springsteen story. Uh, you can reach me at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. The show I'm does. Oh, good. I have the. Um, I'm always looking for guests. Yeah, the show is at setlessingbruce. Uh, setlessingbruce is on Facebook. And uh, I would appreciate you, if you haven't, go ahead and like it. Um, We also are available on iTunes and other podcast methods. And if you rate and review us, it helps me find uh, listeners. Um, This was great. I I just, you know, perfect job, sir. I appreciate you stepping in. The person who was going to do Darkness uh, just wasn't available. And... um, so I, I am so glad you stepped in. I think this has been amazing. I appreciate your help so much. Um, and uh, we will, I'll have to have you on again so we can uh, maybe talk a little more about your poetry and your stories. I think that'd be interesting and talk about how much did uh, Bruce influence you on that. So we may have to do I that. I would love any way any way you want to connect. This has been very enjoyable, Jesse. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome, uh, listeners. Thank you, uh, and we'll talk to you soon.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.